Would you pray with me? Father, we are people who are in need of your mercy, in need of your redemption. But Lord, you are a God who loves to forgive, and for that you should be feared and worshipped and loved. We give you thanks and praise for that. Amen. So our psalm starts out with the words, out of the deep, or maybe some other translations, out of the depths. And I want us to think a little bit about what that conjures up. So when I lived in Birmingham, out of the deep meant that Alabama's football team was 9-3. and three. <laughs> Inconsolable sadness. I actually knew, I knew some guys who, when they were talking about how they became Christians, how they realized that they needed the Lord, they'd say stuff like, I just graduated from college. I already had my dream job. Alabama was undefeated, and yet... Something was missing. I still felt empty, and I didn't know what it could be. Um, I'm trying to think about what this could be for Richmonders, like maybe you crops closed, or maybe, maybe you had to live on the wrong side of the river. Now, I think for many of us, this brings up pictures of times of intense pain or sorrow, maybe pain or darkness because you've lost something or you're grieving something, you're afraid of something, or you're disappointed because some expectation hasn't been met. It could be a time of illness, maybe physical illness or mental illness. This could conjure up times of spiritual darkness, maybe something that flows out of guilt or shame or some feeling of isolation from the Lord or from others. Well, our psalmist is in a place that he calls the deep. And whatever the reason is, or whatever the circumstances is that are, that are behind that, I think we have a sense of what that's like, because we've all been in something that's like that. That's that place of darkness where you can't see what's in front of you or around you. You don't know where to go. And it's a really constricting sort of place. It's like being at the bottom of the ocean with all this weight of the whole sea on top of you, and you can't move. It's a place of distance and isolation. It's a place where you don't expect to be heard because you wouldn't expect your help to be anywhere near. Let me, let me read again what he says. Out of the deep have I called unto you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Oh, let your ears consider well the voice of my supplications. It's a place where you wouldn't expect help to be able to see you or hear you, and yet the psalmist still calls out, don't let my cries go unheard. Now, in verses 3 and 4, this leads us into a remarkably honest point that the psalmist doesn't dodge. He actually confronts it, and I'm glad for that. Because this God that the psalmist believes can hear you when you call out to him from the deeps, the God who can hear you even in the farthest away place, he's close enough to hear our cries from the deep. He's also seen everything that we've ever done. He even knows our secrets. And the psalmist says, Lord, if that's true, then what are we going to do if you hold that against us? If you see everything that I've done, heard everything that I've said, even known everything that I've thought, you know all of those things that are true. If you held that against me, I couldn't stand up under it. And that becomes, or that question, what would we do, becomes an even bigger one when you think about the ways that the deep, especially this image of like, overwhelming water gets used often in the Old Testament. 
So think of Noah and the ark and the flood. It's judgment. Think of the Red Sea. Israel passes through the Red Sea to salvation, but Egypt's armies are swept away under God's wrath. Think about Jonah. Jonah disobeys God, and so he's thrown into the bottom of the sea, right? There are other places, several other places, where the word deep is used very directly to talk about God's oncoming judgment. And so the psalmist, feeling this this weight, this darkness, this distance, the deep, all on his shoulders, even though he may well not have actually caused whatever situation is bringing this on him, I mean, if the guys who wrote the Psalms have one thing in common, it's that they get stabbed in the back by their friends all the time. He may not have caused whatever it is that feels like it's deep and heavy. But still, even there, he doesn't try to justify himself. Even if he's in a situation that he didn't cause, he doesn't say, this isn't my fault. He doesn't appeal to any sort of past faithfulness, doesn't appeal to his own righteousness, because he actually knows that before God, he doesn't have any ground to stand there. He knows that he's a sinner, and he knows that God knows that he's a sinner. And so his only appeal is to God's mercy. Mercy that is so great that he stands in awe. Forgiveness that leads him to fear the Lord. Under the weight of not just tragedy or sadness, but even judgment, his only appeal is to God's mercy. So I want us to sit under that with him for a minute. We tend, I think, to think of the deep as something that's an abnormally bad thing that's separate from our normal life. So there's the deep, but we want to get out of it because we want to get back to our normal life because normal life is generally pretty good. In normal life, we have a shot at being happy and at being fulfilled if we can just somehow manage to not screw it up or if someone else doesn't screw it up for us. And I think that we're able to keep those two things separate, the idea that there's a deep over here and we'd like to avoid it and there's normal nice life over here, We're able to think that because we live in a historically abnormal time and place. We live in a place full of material security and prosperity, medical advances and technology that give us, I think, these layers and layers of complacency that numb us to something that's actually true. The rest of the world for the rest of history has actually had to deal with this on a daily basis, but we kind of have the privilege of being able to look past it, maybe believe that it's not true, at least for a second. And that truth is that suffering is actually the norm. The truth is that our days are numbered. We're going to die. And when we do, we have to face a God who has not just heard our cries, but who has also heard every word that we've ever said and seen everything that we've ever done and even knows every thought that we've ever thunk, thought. We have innumerable comforts and entertainments and diversions to distract us from the fact that we are actually, one, very vulnerable, and two, sinners who are under judgment. But the truth is that we can't keep that hidden forever. And I think that these times that we call the deep, which are, like, they're miserable in themselves, they are also a bit of a window into a truth that we generally don't want to confront. And what I mean by that is, if you think about how dark and how heavy and awful those places, those deep places are, so awful maybe that you felt yourself turning to despair or to hopelessness, if we actually truly saw the state of our own souls in our own strength, in our own righteousness, if we were to actually see the scope of our own rebellion against God, our disobedience, and then of the judgment that we've incurred on ourselves because of that, then that darkness that we saw there would overshadow every other bit of darkness that we've ever seen. 
it would be thicker and heavier and weightier, and we wouldn't want to see it anymore. It would stagger us. If we saw that, we wouldn't have any room to try to justify ourselves anymore. I mean, this is where most of our energy goes, isn't it? And to trying to convince ourselves and other people that the things that are going on are not our fault, that I'm not even my own fault. I wouldn't have done that unless he had done that. Or I would not have done this if she hadn't done that. Or I really had no other choice. I had to do this. You don't understand. If we saw the weight of that darkness, if we saw that deep, felt that deep, the only possibility for us would be God's mercy. That would be our only appeal. My soul waits for the Lord, and his word is my hope. So that's a downer. So why would we talk about this, which is a baptism Sunday, right? Like you would think, it's a celebratory day. Well, there's a line in the baptism liturgy, liturgy that refers to something that Paul says in Romans 6 that I think really matters today of all days. Here's what Romans 6 says. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. So in the baptism liturgy, what we're going to say is that in it, in baptism, we are buried with Christ in his death. So there's a lot of things that happen in baptism. There are a lot of layers to this. But here's one of them. In baptism, Jesus proclaims to us that he has already gone into the deep for us. So that judgment under which no one can stand the judgment that we all deserve, he has actually willingly subjected himself to that. All the pains of human weakness and grief, betrayal, sickness, sadness, he's walked through that too. All the way to death and even burial in a tomb. In baptism, we see that we can be joined to Jesus' death because he has willingly already joined us in the deep. Now, I was really surprised at how vivid of a picture we get of that in verses 5 and 6. My soul waits for the Lord, and his word is my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. I've, I've loved these verses for years. I've turned them over in my head and in my heart in a lot of moments when I felt like I wanted to see God move. I wanted to know his nearness. But through all of those years, I had never actually considered those words on Jesus' heart. Jesus knew his psalms. So imagine this. Think of Jesus, the Son of God in human flesh, refusing to come to his own aid, enduring beatings and mocking and trial and pain, struggling to breathe on the cross as his legs weaken, slowly asphyxiating, as he waits for the help of his Father. Think of Jesus in darkness, feeling forsaken, unable to see his Father, able only to cling to this word of hope that his Father's given, only able to cling to this word of promise. Think of Jesus on Holy Saturday in the tomb, literally waiting for the morning waiting for the Lord to move, keeping watch for the morning. This is hard for us to get our heads around. But Jesus, the Son of God, in that moment, had only the word of his Father to cling to in deep darkness. 
feeling utterly forsaken. And remember that he quotes Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But still, he faithfully trusts that word because he knows his father. If you've ever found that waiting for the Lord is hard, Jesus has been there too. But like the psalmist, but actually even more, Jesus knew that the salvation his father would bring was surer than the rising of the sun on the next day. That's the kind of waiting that is long and tiring, but it's also sure. Jesus has been there. He knows. And that leads us into the even deeper beauty of baptism. The beauty of baptism is not divine commiseration in the deep. That actually wouldn't help us. It's rescue. Let me read that passage again from Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So joined to Jesus in baptism in the deep where he has come to meet us, we're also joined to his resurrection. So his Easter morning new life is given to us. That's the hope of baptism. It's that your help has come. Jesus waited for the Lord, and he clung to the word of his Father, and God raised him from the dead. But you've been joined to him. You're going to be joined to him. So that spirit that hovered over the face of the waters at creation meets you in these waters to give you new life. When he joins you to Jesus, his resurrection is and will be yours. In baptism today, we're going to see that Jesus transforms the deep from a tomb into a womb from a place of death into a place of new life. So those last two verses. Trust in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption, and he shall redeem us from all our sins. Here's what Jesus accomplishes in these waters. When you are joined to Jesus in his death and resurrection, you are joined to the one who is merciful. You're joined to the one in whom there is plenteous redemption. New life in Jesus, given to you today. That means redemption from your sins, and it also means redemption from the damages of sin. That means freedom from the things that you've done in your past. It means freedom from sin's hold on your present and on your future. It means freedom from Satan's blackmail, from the curse of death. Freedom from the things that would constantly steal your thoughts and your hearts. Freedom from the overwhelming and consuming nature of those feelings in you that lie to you. Freedom from all of the things that have bound you. So by the grace of God, we all have to learn to grow into that freedom. We still have to wait because we don't know that in its fullness until Jesus comes. We're going to have to learn to wait, especially, I think, in the school of prayer. Prayer is the place where we learn to wait on the Lord. But what we're reminded of in baptism, what Jesus has shown us by going here already, is that we can also wait with the same eager confidence because the Lord's coming is surer than the rising of the sun on the next day. He doesn't fail, doesn't miss appointments. And in those places where you still don't feel that freedom, where you still feel bound or like you have to still walk through suffering or dark places, he has promised, as Paul said in Philippians, to complete that good work that he has started in you. And you can know that it's true because 
even if it doesn't feel true in the moment, you know that Jesus has already gone to the deep for you. And when he did, God, his father, raised him from the dead. Everything that Jesus won in that victory, he gives to us here. So in the deep, call out to him. He hears and wait for him. And even in that waiting, know that if you are joined to Jesus by the Spirit, you don't wait for him alone. That distance that you feel isn't real. He's there, and he hears, and he is full of mercy. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.